0: Hey, everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision app to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Good morning, everybody. So my name is Josh DeCook. Um, I'm not a pastor here, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to really share what God has laid on my heart a few times. So what I want to do today is talk about three words that, and I'm trying to think of the right terminology to use here, make me very angry is the best way to put that. Those three words are male pattern. Baldness mm-hmm. cannot really I'm, I'm, I'm getting there let's, just be honest but the actual three words are daylight, savings, time I do not care for daylight savings time not, not one bit I think it's one of the worst possible things we have and I'm, I'm sure like, the reason it was implemented was great and have I done the work to figure out why and the history behind it? no, just going to own that right up front but I'm going to give you my top three complaints about daylight savings time first of all If you have children, daylight savings time is quite possibly one of the worst things you'll ever experience. Now, falling back to get one extra hour of sleep, fantastic. Springing forward to lose an hour of sleep, absolutely horrible. Kids, however, have this internal clock in them that they don't care if it's 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. They're going to bed when their body tells them. Same thing in the morning. They're going to get up when their body tells them. 6 a.m., 7 a.m., doesn't really make a difference. So as parents, I don't care for daylight savings time. So that's strike number one. Strike two is the fact that not everybody in the U.S. uses daylight savings time. So as part of my job, I get to work with financial institutions from all over the country. And one example of one of the reasons daylight saving time really creates a hardship is that I will have calls with a financial institution in Hawaii who's working with someone in Alaska who's talking to me and we have someone from the East Coast on the call. Now, Hawaii doesn't even use daylight savings time, so I spend far too much time on Google trying to figure out what time it is in Hawaii, Alaska, and the East Coast, because I have hard enough time with time zones, right, to figure out when am I gonna create this meeting. And when I end up on Google looking at time zones, I quite honestly end up on a rabbit trail going the wrong way and possibly look up conspiracy theories about daylight savings time because that's fun for me to do. So that's strike number two. Strike number three then is probably my biggest complaint. Now I work in an office that has a total of one window, I think. It's an old warehouse that they retrofitted, and all of the executive areas up front have windows, but and actually the area that we work in, the only window is on the loading door, and it's this little tiny window that lights sometimes come through, right? So when I go to work in the morning, it's dark. When I walk out of the office, it's dark. And that's hard for me because it doesn't make me feel all warm and fuzzy and excited for Christmas. It makes me feel cold and it makes me feel tired and I don't enjoy it. But what is it then about the dark that oftentimes makes things so much worse? Why do many of us fear being in the dark? Why are kids oftentimes afraid of the dark? And why do we associate darkness with being bad? Now, let me be honest here. I am not a fan of the dark. Okay, (laughs) I'm just not, right? Um, Does anyone remember the movie Signs? Yeah, we all remember this movie? Full honesty, this movie messed with me in a way that a movie has not ever done before or has done since. This movie terrified me. I have an issue with aliens for some reason. I just, it scares me, right? Now, the problem with this movie is that you can see, well, not anymore, but you could see that it took place on a house, out in a farm, with cornfields, right? That hit very close to home for me because I grew up in northwest Iowa where there's lots of cornfields, right? And it just so happened that one of the cornfields was about 50 feet that way from our house. So if y'all remember the scene where they're in the cornfield and he's looking through the corn and all of a sudden that leg turns and walks away. You remember this one? That messed with me. And the one where on top of the barn is the silhouette of the alien. You remember this one? I had an experience where after I watched that movie, I was walking out of a, I think it was a school actually. And I took a step and I looked back and on top of this was this outline that to me resembled what was on the movie, right? It was an HVAC system. Let's be honest about it. I screamed and ran quite loud and quite fast because this was utterly terrifying to me. The last thing I'll tell you is that when I would get home at night, and I'm a high schooler, right? Like I'm a high school senior and this is still happening. I would park in our driveway, turn off the car, And I'd sit there and I would stare off in that direction at that cornfield, just making sure nothing was moving. And I would take the key out of the ignition and wait, and then start to really give myself a pep talk like, all right, it's time. I need to go in the house now. So I would make sure the garage door was up, and I would get everything ready, open the door, get out, shut the door, sprint as fast as I could into the garage jump up on this little platform we had because the, the front door was about that high off the ground, hit the garage door button to close the garage door, get in the house, shut the door, lock the door. I'm not ashamed to admit that, okay? This movie terrified me. But it's not just that. Like movies and TV shows, we often associate the bad guys as being in darkness. Star Wars, for example. Darth Vader, The Emperor, Kylo Ren, dark colors. Sauron from Lord of the Rings, tower was dark. He who shall not be named from Harry Potter, dark robe. And I think quite possibly the worst villain of all time, Zerg from Toy Story. <laughs> now for a lot of us, darkness can also be seasons of life that we experience that are incredibly difficult. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's losing a job. Maybe it's struggling with addiction. Maybe it's something else entirely that hits you in a way that is just hard to work through. But the question is then why is it that we associate darkness with negativity? Why do we think darkness has such these negative connotations to it? Why do we see light as being good and dark as being bad? Why do we refer to difficult times in our lives as times of darkness? So for me personally, after spending times working through difficult situations and moments in my life, both things that have happened to people that I love, people around me, and quite honestly, things that have been self-inflicted, choices I've made that have hurt other people or, or hurt people that I love that, that have caused a lot of difficult situations in my life. I think I can fairly say now that I think darkness gets a bad rap. And I want to talk about that this morning because I think a lot of us can see the Christmas season as being a difficult or dark time, a time that brings with it bad memories, a time that makes us weary. Now, to do this, what we're going to talk about is the shepherds from the Christmas story and how learning from their experience can help us navigate difficult times in our own lives. So if you have a Bible or a Bible, feel free to crack it open to the book of Luke, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first books of the Old Testament, that's where you're going to find it. Now, if you don't have a Bible, the words will be up here on the screen, and if you need a Bible, please make sure you grab one from the back to the Next Steps table. Um, I know Revision loves it when those disappear. All right, so let's set the stage for where we are here. Now, the world in the book of Luke could be described as having been in darkness. It's been 400 years since Malachi wrote down the last words that God would give to Israel. Uh, Not surprisingly, the last book in the Old Testament is entitled Malachi, which is the book he wrote. So we have end of the Old Testament to then beginning of New Testament. We're looking at about a period of 400 years of silence. Nobody's heard from God, nothing. Starting in verse 1 of the book of Luke, chapter 2, we see that Mary and Joseph are heading to Bethlehem as Caesar Augustus has issued a decree that everyone needs to be taken, a census needs to be taken for everyone in the Roman world. You're probably familiar with this story, but what happens next is Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, can't find a place to stay, end up in a, in a stable, manger? I don't know, I, I struggle with the words on that one. But Jesus is born, right? And he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and they lie him in a manger. All right, so that's where we're at. Let's jump into verse eight. Verse 8 says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds. We go from the birth of Jesus to talking about shepherds. And the reason I say it that way is because shepherds really were seen as unimportant nobodies at that time. People typically avoided them for two reasons. First of all, they spent their entire time with sheep, right? So you can imagine if you're out spending time with sheep, you start to smell like sheep. You might even start to look like sheep. So people don't tend to want to spend a lot of time with you. Second of all, they were seen as transient people, meaning they moved around frequently. And if you're a person who sees a shepherd come to town, you're not really wanting to engage them in conversation because you know that quite possibly you're not going to be able to develop a relationship with them because they're going to move on, you're not going to see them again. So people typically avoided shepherds. Now, while shepherds certainly experienced times of being in the light during the day, their nights were spent in darkness. Now, Shepherds usually traveled in groups. And the reason they did this is because at night in the darkness, one of them would stay awake because they had to watch out to make sure there were no threats to the sheep, right? The other ones would typically sleep, and they would rotate through on a basis of that. And what would happen is a lot of the times when the shepherds would sleep, they would actually lay across the opening to a makeshift pen they would make, using wood, rocks, whatever else they could find, and they would lay across that opening to make sure then that if any of the sheep tried to get away, the sheep would have to step over the shepherd, waking up the shepherd, so the shepherd could make sure that the sheep stayed in the pen. So that's where we find ourselves. The shepherds are here, the baby's been born, and now we jump into verse 9. It says, An angel of a Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So again, remember the scene here. We have shepherds in the dark, and then, boom, an angel appears to them. Now, I I find myself chuckling at this situation because I like to see if I were in that situation, how would I react, right? So first of all, if I was the shepherd, one of the shepherds that was asleep, I'd wake up and do a double or triple take because I'm thinking, what the heck is that? And I have to still be dreaming. And I picture an angel like up floating in the sky, right? If I'm the shepherd that's awake, I see this thing and I'm thinking, I've been awake for far too long because I'm now starting to see things and I'm not thinking clearly. And to top it off, the glory of the Lord is shining around me, which to me would scare me because... I can't imagine having this thing here and light all around me. And quite frankly, the glory of the Lord is not something that's often seen and I don't think can even be expressed or explained very well. So it's just this, it, it blows my mind thinking about what this must have been like. Because remember, if I'm a shepherd, my excitement at night typically looks like a sheep probably getting out and having to chase it down, maybe chasing off a wolf, which would be very exciting, let's be honest. Or... I think I'd want to try to ride a sheep. I mean, it just—it sounds fun to ride a sheep. I don't know if you can. Does anybody know if you can ride a sheep? Okay, we're going to move on from that. So that would be something I'd like to do is ride a sheep. Now, the angel, however, recognizes their fear and immediately assures them there's no need to be afraid. This angel is bringing with it the news that the people have been waiting for. The angel is shattering the silence of 400 years. The angel is sharing the good news that would forever change the world. The infinite has become an infant. The Son of God has entered our story. He's in the town of David, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. But then there's more. We pick it back up in verse 13. It says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. See, that one angel simply wasn't enough. This was the birth of the Savior. This was the cause of great joy for all the people. So it had to be a host of angels praising God for what has happened. But then the angels leave. And the angels go back to heaven. And the shepherds now find themselves back again where they were before this whole thing started in the darkness. The shepherds are then undoubtedly left with a choice what do we do now? Because over here was all the things that were familiar. This was their livelihood. This was their sheep. This was their routine. This was their comfort. Right? So they had a choice to make. What should we do? And they make a choice to take action. They're going to go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Okay, so quick time out. I'm going to leave this here and we're going to move over in this direction. I I don't know if I've told you all this before. I used to be a pastor. I was blessed to be a pastor for 10 years, and I focused specifically on students, so students in grades 6 through 12. And one thing that we did every year was called Dark and Light Night. And Dark and Light Night was an event that we put on for students to help them understand the difference between darkness and light. The idea was, when you're living your life in the darkness, you're easily misled when you're living your life in the light, it's easier to see what's true and what's real. Now, there is one specific thing within dark and light night that was, was actually kind of fun. Um, we would get students in groups of five or six, and we would give them a list, like a scavenger hunt list of five specific items, right? And each one of them needed to memorize one of the items. Then we would send them into a room, kind of like a classroom size, and it actually was a classroom. There were other things set up in there. And the job that they had was to go into said room and find these five items as fast as they could. Now, we made sure the room was completely dark. We blacked out the windows. We did everything we could to make sure it was as dark as possible. And we sent them in. And it was, it was really entertaining um, sitting outside the doors because you would hear a couple different things. Um, you'd hear kids screaming because people are scared of the dark, right? And inevitably, someone in the group is going to try to scare people. There was actually one year where we planted students in there, specifically to scare people, which was an entertaining situation. Um, There was also people yelling, yelling about not being able to find things or yelling at someone else for running into them. And there was inevitably the sound of people running into things. So you'd hear chairs falling, you know, people kicking tables, fun stuff like that. Um, We gave them a total of 10 minutes to do this, and at 10 minutes, I would then knock on the door. Now, one important thing needs to be noted here. That list of five items we gave them None of them were in the room. We, we didn't put anything in the room for them to find. So it was really, they're just looking for nothing for 10 minutes straight. Um, but at 10 minutes, I'd knock on the door and I'd open the door and I'd give them one of those little tea lights, the, you know, the electronic tea lights that's, we weren't going to give them a candle, obviously that would go poorly, but we give them a tea light so it lights up and it gives them a little bit of light to see. So we'd send it back in the room and their yelling would change tones from yelling at each other to then yelling at me when they realized that none of the five items were actually in the room, right? And the reason we did this is because we wanted to draw the conclusion and really use it as an object lesson for students to see that when you live your life in darkness, you're easily misled. When you live your life in darkness, you can't see what's real, what's true. But when you introduce light into the situation, you can see things for what they really are. You can identify what's true and what's real and you're not as easily misled. Now, unfortunately, I now understand that that specific activity was fundamentally flawed. You see, the problem with the concept of dark and light night, and what I think a lot of us, myself included, fail to realize about darkness, is this. Darkness is not the absence of light. It's the absence of recognizing the light that is already there. If we look back at the 400 years of silence between Malachi and the Christmas story, we oftentimes refer to it as the period of darkness. Now the problem with that, though, is if we assume darkness is without God and light is with God, we assume that God was not present during those 400 years. We can apply this to our own lives as well. When we find ourselves in dark times, we so easily feel as if God is not there. Or God has abandoned us. Or we need to go find God somewhere, ask God to come be with us. And then we run. We run from this darkness because it scares us. We we want to find something. We want to find someone that can fix this for us because we don't like this feeling we have. So as opposed to us dealing with it, us sitting with it, we try to get away with it, away from it, not with it. We try to get away from it. We try to find something that can fix this us because we frankly do not like that feeling. Now assuming God is not right there with us is the problem because that could not be further from the truth. God was 100% there during those 400 years just like God is 100% present with us in every situation that we face. Now, sure, he might not be doing exactly what we expect or want him to do. But God does not do things on our schedule. God operates in his time, not on our time. And based on my reading of the Bible, it seems like time and time and time again, God's time is always perfect. Whereas the timing the people and the story wanted things to happen in is oftentimes not So there's a book called The Dark Night of the Soul, written by Gerald G. May, and he says it this way, we think about God being with me, but God is not with me, God is in me. So if you think of a rock in the earth, the rock might move closer to the center or further from the center of the earth, but it's always in the earth. So when we find ourselves in times of darkness, when we find ourselves in difficult times, We don't need to try to go find the light from somewhere else. We don't need to go find something to fix it. Instead, we need to stop running. Take a breath and look inside and find the light of God that has been within us all along. See, that's why the concept of that specific activity within dark and light night was flawed. We introduced an external source of light. We made it seem as if when the kids were in there in the darkness that they were without light. So we gave them this source of light, which made them believe that they had to get something to make it better. Had we had them stay in that room longer, had we had them sit in that uncomfortable feeling of being in the dark and not knowing where things were, they could have easily identified that there already was light in the room, even though that light was incredibly faint. There were power strips in there that had light. There were lights that had little red lights on them, like that, because the lights were turned off. There were smoke alarms that had a little light that would blink all the time, right? There was light there, but it was incredibly faint. And the students were so focused on the darkness, the students were so focused on what they couldn't see that they missed it. You remember the derecho from a few years ago? How many of you lost power during the derecho? Okay, so we lost power for about four days. And it was frustrating because across the street from us got power back within like a day and a half. Regardless, there was one night where the power company came by and they were working on the power lines. And I've seen them do this before when we've been without power. There's this switch that they flip, which apparently I don't know what it does. I'm going to say it connects the circuit. I have no idea what happens, but that makes sense to me. They flip this switch, and then boom, the lights go back on, right? I think it was the first night we were without power, and this was when everybody was without power around us. The power company came by, and I was so excited because the light was going to come back on. So I then got our kids, went outside. I don't think Heidi joined us because she thought it was just plain Weird that we were outside watching people work on power lines, but we're out there watching power lines and they're working on it and they're about to flip the switch and then they flip the switch but nothing happens. And I'm just devastated because I've gotten my kids all excited and now we've of course gotten them let down, which is fantastic to deal with. But we were left in darkness. At that point in time, I was like, all right, let's go back in the house because we go back in the house and we turn on. You know, we turn on flashlights, we light candles, whatever. But Rael, my daughter, actually looked up and she said, Dad, look at the sky. And we looked up and we saw some of the most brilliant stars we had seen probably in my kid's lifetime, to be honest with you, because there was no light. Because we as people flock to the light. We want to find the light. We don't like sitting in darkness because darkness is incredibly uncomfortable. But had we decided to run from the darkness back into a place where there was light, we would have missed a sky that was so much more beautiful than anything else we would have ever seen the rest of that night. And my friends, that's Christmas. Christmas is something more beautiful than we ever could have imagined. Christmas is the celebration of God stepping out of eternity and into human history. The birth of Jesus introduced a light brighter than anything seen before, and the darkness shall never overcome that. And that's the same light that resides within each and every one of us. So that's my challenge for all of us today. Be willing to sit in darkness, in the uncomfortable, for a little bit longer than you might like. Because when you run from it, when you go seek to find something else, you're missing the fact that God is right there with you. He has been there with you, and he will be there with you all along. In essence, we need to take our cue from the shepherds. Because shepherds are a lot like you and me. Unimportant nobodies. We're not any more important in God's story than anyone else. But God lit up the darkness of that night and chose them. He chose the shepherds to share this news with. He shows the shepherds to be the people that he spoke to to break the silence of 400 years. My friends, God does the same for us. God chooses us. God loves us more than we could possibly ever understand or imagine. Like the song says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Make a choice to take the journey, as hard as it may be, as uncomfortable as it may be, to find the light that has been inside you all along. And let that light bring you joy as you step into a new and glorious morn. Let's pray. So Father, we come before you today, and quite often we run from darkness. Quite often we get scared, we get nervous, we get whatever emotion you want to assign to it, and it's hard. But Father, I pray that you give us the courage to run to you. And to do that, we need to look inside ourselves and find the light that you've given us, Father, because we are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. So, Father, may we love you as much as you love us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.